Breakups and divorce can be extremely painful, lonely, and confusing. But I believe your breakup can be your biggest breakthrough. I'm Lindsay Ellison, author, coach, speaker, and single mom of two awesome young men. Welcome to a podcast about finding joy and inner peace after a breakup. You may not be able to see what's on the other side yet, but I promise if you do the healing work, your life will transform in ways you never thought possible. Welcome to Unbreakable You. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Unbreakable You. Today's episode, I have just been waiting for it for, gosh, months now, because I am here with the fabulous Tracy Malone, and she is the author of Divorcing Your Narcissist, You Can't Make This Shit Up. Best title ever, and we're going to be talking about Tracy's book uh, in a little bit, but first I just want to introduce Tracy, because Tracy and I... Gosh, I met her a few years ago, I think, when I was pitching my book. And then Tracy and I have just become buddies. And she is all things narcissist survivor. And she calls herself a surthriver, which I love that. And she founded NarcissisticAbuseSupport.com. And so many of you have heard me talk about her website quite a bit. And it's a global resource to victims of narcissistic abuse. So it really is a very, very robust website with lots and lots of resources. And her website concentrates on educating survivors and leading them to the resources that they need to heal. And Tracy is a narcissistic abuse coach and educator and enjoys coaching survivors from all over the world. And I also want to say Tracy has this awesome YouTube channel. So definitely check her out there. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Tracy, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for that great introduction. And I am so grateful to be here. Thank you. So Tracy, I want to talk about what has inspired you to write this book because you've written many eBooks. So what inspired you to write this one? Well, a combination of my own naivety when I went through my divorce and also just all of the survivors that I talked to and the common threads and, and almost like the strategies that whether their lawyer told them to do this and I'd be like, oh, that's a good idea or whether these things happened to them. And, and we had like discussions and strategies. I'm like, we need to help more people. So I wrote it. Yes. And what do you think with all of the work that you've been doing and all of, I know you, you really do have a, an enormous following. And I really think Tracy, and I think I even said this, I, I was um, very honored to write and review the book and offer a, a quote on the back of the book. So thank you so much for um, offering that to me. There it is on the back. But one of the things I think Tracy that you're a hero, uh, a shiro, if you will, in the work that you do is this is really, narcissistic abuse is, is a very heavy topic. And it is very, as a coach, I have, that's kind of how I got into it, but I have expanded a lot of my work to not talk about narcissism all the time because personally and professionally, it was really getting to me. And so I really think it takes a very special person to really go into some of the harder discussions 
um, that I don't think many people really want to talk about. So one of the biggest takeaways I got from your book is the nuanced difficulties that I just don't think you can find anywhere. And it's not discussed. And I wanna to talk to you a little bit about why that isn't often discussed. Uh, I know, you know, 10 years ago when I was divorcing my narcissist, there were maybe like two books on this subject matter. And now there's many, which is good. Um, but I think that this level of what's going on when we are divorcing narcissist and preparing for it, and then when we're going through it, is almost kind of just ignored and um, and not discussed. So I wanna talk about some of those key things that I think are really amazing nuggets to your book, but why do you think that is? What? Why is it that what's going on with the narcissist and the whole legal process, why do you think this isn't discussed and what inspires you every day to really bring this work out? Well, I'll start with what inspires me, and it's the people. Um, I'm probably not your typical coach. I end up with long-term clients that I absolutely love. And, you know, I, I'm visiting with a support group that hasn't, I haven't met with them in a year, but they've continued to meet on their own and I'm going to see them all tomorrow. It's like a reunion with Tracy. And I just, I just love these girls. Um, many of their stories and, and again, all of the, the people that I've talked to, you know, oh, people need to know this. And, oh, my husband just did this. Oh, you got to let people know about this thing. Right. I just, I adore the people. And it's a very, very hard topic. As you said, there can be people that have child abuse issues and getting absolutely no help. And, you know, DHS has been called five times and, and they get away with it. And, you know, really, really hard conversations, but they're without help. Like no lifeline is coming. So to be able to give them an answer is just like a grace that God gave me. I swear this book was written. The things just came into my head as I'm typing. And I'm like, well, that was pretty good. Thanks, God. You know, it was just like, <laughs> yeah, most of it was things I repeat and repeat and repeat to clients every day. But there would just be things that I was like, yeah, you're right. They need to know that. And I'd get that in there. So um, I think the reason that it isn't talked about as much is because there's a, I'm sure there's people that are nervous. If I put that down, then a narcissist is going to grab this book and they're going to learn all the tactics. I don't want to give them any more help. Right. But at the same time, we're, we're not helping the victims. And so the more things, and, and someone asked me this morning, like, did I have an outline? She's like, there's so much in here. And I'm like, I had post-its. I literally have pictures of just piles. I'd be on a call, coaching call with someone and I'd have a pad on the side. I'm writing their notes and I'm going, well, that was good. Or I might've said a line, oh, that was good. And, and then put it all together. So, you know, it's, it's, it's for the people. And if we don't educate them, they're going to get stuck in the same trap. And this is also, you know, obviously the court awareness, the judges, the lawyers, um, the whole system really needs to understand this so that we can make changes to help victims that are going through such horrible, horrific legal abuse. Mm -hmm. What do you think is, if, and I know this might be putting you on the spot, but what do you think is one of the biggest challenges, if you could summarize, and it doesn't even have to be the, the biggest, but maybe the, the, your top few challenge, you know, the top three, what are the top three, let's say, uh, challenges that 
someone go through when they're getting ready to divorce a narcissist? Well, they can um, not believe that they're a narcissist. Like most people have gone their whole marriage yeah. until the divorce happens. No one told them to look up that word. I didn't know it until five years after my divorce. I never looked at it. Didn't know it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's check, check, check. Right. So I, I think if if we look back to um their their biggest challenges, they have to understand that. They have to learn that they are a victim and not live in victim. I don't don't get me wrong. I don't want them to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that's how you sound like to all your friends because you're just blindsided by these things coming at you. So understanding that you're a victim and someone did something to you, even if you were married to them for 40 years. It's, it helps take off some of the, oh, if I should have, could have, would have, what did I do wrong? And I think that's a, a very big hurdle. So we get through that and then we have to understand what the legal process is about. What is important to fight for? I fought for my own defense. I'm not a thief. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And I spent a hundred thousand dollars wasting money on oh, things yeah. that won't matter. Like prove that I'm, I'm a thief. I was so busy proving I wasn't a thief that we didn't put the impetus on them to actually show me an evidence. There's nothing. I'm the one with 5,000 papers. You've never handed in a single paper. So where are you getting this false allegation? I should have put more pressure on them instead of me going into defense. But if we don't know it and we're blindsided by it, we want to defend. We're a good parent. We're not a thief. We didn't do this. We're dead. So knowing what battles to fight is such an important part. And they have to do that very soon, or it's going to become a legal battle of epic proportions. What do you think the biggest mistakes people make when divorcing a narcissist? Um, you know, I hate to say it, but picking the wrong lawyer. Mm. And I think most of my clients average between two and five lawyers by the time they're done. And if you don't you know they're like, oh, they didn't know what an I never knew what a narcissist was, so I didn't ask the lawyer they aren't going to know the word, they know the word narcissist, they're just not going to call it that because that's sort of like a therapist diagnosing someone without them being in the room, right? So it's a high conflict divorce situation because they're going to smear, they're going to lie, they're going to, you know, all of the things that are going to happen. And asking the lawyer, I have, I have like three pages of questions to ask lawyers in the book. Because that is so great. You don't think about this. And, and a lawyer doing an interview is never going to answer all these questions. But what's important to you? Some people have kids pick a question from the kid thing. How will you protect my kids? How will like financial, how will I pay for this? What's this going to cost? Do you have little paralegals that'll be less expensive to do the, the minion work if you would? And you're not paying $500 an hour for your lawyer. Get those questions qualified. What is your response time is the biggest problem that people have. They just don't get back to them. And, and I'm afraid that that's part of the system. You know, until your case files in front of them, no matter what your ex did that day and you're, oh my God, what happened? They just don't sit there and respond back to you until your case is in front of them or it may be a week. And, and that's frustrating. So what is their communication policy? Yeah, that's a really good question. What is your opinion? And I get this question a lot and my answer somewhat varies throughout <laughs> my experience and, and um, kind of the stories that I hear, but what is your opinion on whether to hire a bulldog lawyer, a lawyer who's a narcissist themselves, which is kind of hard to pick up if you don't know what a narcissist is. We'll talk about that in a second, but, um, or someone who is 
really empathetic and who is really kind of almost feels maybe like your best friend. The empathetic codependent people pleasers want that empathetic lawyer, but yep. they have to have enough strength and courage and, and be able to deal with what's going to be thrown at them. So I, I'd say it's, you know, the shark. I have a client right now with a shark and this woman is not listening to my client. This is her second lawyer. She's like, oh, she had a, a passive one in the beginning. She's like, oh no, I've got to equal his shark with my shark, right? And now her bill goes up at say seven to $10,000 a month and they haven't even made it to court. So a bulldog lawyer, as you said, a shark lawyer is going to, they're going to jump on all these things that get thrown at you. Let's battle that one. Let's battle that one. Instead of going, let's think this through and go, this is important. This isn't, don't worry about that. That'll come in, you know, I know they stole your money, but we'll get it equalized here, you know, instead of the, the battle. So somewhere in the middle, a hybrid is where you really want, because you want that empathy, but you also don't want them not to be able to fight. Yeah, I really agree with you. I've, I've had many clients who, will say, I, I picked this lawyer and I heard he's the best. Um, and in my town, there is one lawyer uh, who is the most famous lawyer in my area. And I've had a lot of clients who have used him and then they've come to me and then they'll say he was the worst one uh, out of all of them. And it's the same thing. It's because he just wants the fight. The other thing I also want to note too is that these types of shark bulldog lawyers will often just get sick of you. They get exasperated by your your helplessness. They'll start to judge you. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll start to get little signs that they're almost on your uh, ex's team, legal team, than your own, and. Uh, and then they'll start to belittle you. So it's a really, um, it's, it's a slippery slope when we're about to hire one of these lawyers because we're in a way, you know, enamored by their fight and their grit because we didn't have it. But at the same time, you're almost, you could potentially be hiring a lawyer that is an extension of your ex. <laughs> That's the kind of lawyer the narcissist hire, right? But if you get one, like the example of the woman that I was just talking about, that's on her second, and the, this one's the bulldog. She tells her that that it's your conspiracy theorist. No, someone just broke into my house. Well, how do you know it's him? They use the remote control of my garage. You know, I mean, little things. But your conspiracy theory again, they get intolerant of your, like you said, neediness, your your vulnerability, and the stories that you tell them, no matter how good they are, are things that you can't make this shit up about. So you look like, oh God, here she comes again. Oh no, what's she going to tell us today, right? And, and it's not fair, but they do judge us based on like our emotional strength. If we're an emotional basket, they're just like scared of you, that, that bulldog. It's, just, it's like a, an empath and a, and a narcissist. They're just not going to feel for you. They can win the battle, but they're also going to run up that bill. If they've got this much money or you've got this much coming, they'll go after it so that they get a bigger chunk of it. Yeah. What is your favorite part of your book? The favorite part. Thank you. I love this question. Um, <laughs> the most important thing I think is the gray areas of a divorce decree. Mm -hmm. We think a normal 
like line that a, a lawyer would put in. You get them Christmas this year, I get them next year, blah, 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 goes on and on, right? But we don't look for the holes. And, and again, I use lots of examples in the book saying, um, you know, in that Christmas example, the example in the book is the husband took the kid on, on Christmas morning and then didn't bring them back for the entire winter vacation and went, but it doesn't say. So the wife is going crazy, bring back my kid and calling the police. And they're like, but ma'am, it doesn't say it in the decree. And mm-hmm. I went, I've been to a lot of contempt of court hearings with clients. And one that I went to, her husband was ordered in the decree to spend, to, to um, he was supposed to sell a house and give her $300,000. It didn't say how long, it didn't say when. And so two years later, after she had spent $20,000 to fight him, to get him, you do motion to compel, motion to comply, motion to this, and, and $20,000 in back and forth to the lawyers. And and nothing happened. Like he didn't do it. So there we were in the contempt of court hearing and she'd spent that 20 grand and her lawyer said, well, judge, since he was already ordered to do this, my client shouldn't have had to pay all this money. Can we ask for legal fees? And the judge literally put her hands together and said, I wish I could, but it wasn't in the original decree. Mm. I said, ding, 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 right? What else are we missing? Um, I've been creating a parenting plan like in parallel to this. I have a hundred thousand words um, written on how to narc proof your parenting plan, how wow. to make sure that every detail is outlined from like, if you send your, your kid off and I, I keep using husband, sorry, it could be other way you send them yes. off. And all of a sudden they come back with pierced ears or a tattoo across their face. And you're like, we never discussed that. Oh no. What are you going to do? Or they refuse to take your kid to an orthodontist because they simply don't want to pay. Oh yeah. I, I don't really think we need braces. Okay. But who makes that decision? All of those details should be in there. Like even outlining, when do they get a driver's license? When do they get a phone? Who's paying for the phone? Things like that. And a lot of that's in there. If you don't think about that stuff, all of a sudden they're not paying for camp and you've got a $2,000 summer bill and you're like, but now you're fighting or you're bringing them back to court. If you lay it out in the beginning, the gray areas that the narcissist like works in and swims in, it won't happen. And I have this thing called the, what if they don't clause? And this was out of that experience and all of those court cases I went to and, and it's, it's a simple line. Every single decree says, and I've got a bunch of them on my dining room table from people, you know, each party's responsible for their legal fees. That's just normal, right? If, unless somebody ends up being the one who pays it. Um, but that seems like a normal thing. But the thing is, you can have a line added into that, that in case anyone doesn't do all the things that are in the decree above, that person's responsible, you know, like, like the example of the 300,000, if you had had that line in there, he would have had to pay her lawyer fees, both parties. If you don't comply, it'll, it'll make them happier that, oh, if she doesn't comply, okay, fine. You know, so it, it's not just about them. It's about equal parties, but you don't break the law and not do what you're ordered to do by a court. So it is really for them, but it's so helpful. Oh my God. I wish I had that for my divorce. And I, I always like to remind people, and I, and I know you've done this somewhere in your book, is that when you are divorcing, most lawyers are divorcing and making a divorce decree kind of based on the age of your children at that time. Oh, yes. They never think through the future. So you just outlined and bulleted 
the top issues that I, I experienced. Mm -hmm. um, so my kids were four and seven. Um, as you know, anyone with children, you can't, you, you know, especially with your firstborn, you don't know what nine year old, nine years old looks like. You can't even picture your kid being 16. It, especially when you're in a divorce and you're you're just in like such muddy water in your brain, you can't even think that far ahead. But those were the main issues. It was orthodontist. What happened? My son loses his retainer, and he blamed it on my son. So rather than splitting the retainer 50-50, which is what we should have done, mm -hmm. I ended up paying for it. Um, orthodontia wasn't even in the divorce decree. Then I think about cars. So who's buying a, my son? So that was a huge shock for me car insurance for your kid and college testing and even if you get that and i have this example in there too if you get that say daddy pays for college in the in the book it has a line that says you know well when it, when this person's son got into brown the father who's a millionaire said i was thinking community college twenty thousand dollars to fight him on that if you oh would my gosh. this is the budget this is what's included, food, housing, transportation, books, books. curricular <laughs> activities, and even the applications. I mean, you could spend $5,000 applying to schools that you're only going to get in one, right? Who's paying for that? Who decides, again, oh, no, I want that community college. If you don't think about the future, and, you, and there's another example in there about thinking about the future of, again, a nine-month-old baby when they divorced, and it said she could move within 45 miles of where she lived. Well, five years later, the father had seen the kid three times and she had to move because her new husband and his job, and it was 47 miles. And she spent $20,000 to fight him. And when she told me this story and we went through it and I worked with her through the whole process, she's like, please tell everyone in that in the book, please. I want people to know this relocation clause. If you do move, like they shouldn't have that control that ex-husband kept her in that first house for over a year while she battled and she had a mortgage on the second house it was already bought so like just think about the future don't just blindly because the lawyer's going to go oh yeah we got something in there no you need it narc proof you need it to find out like to the the granule of salt this is what it means and again if you don't know it just ask a friend who has a nine-year-old a ten-year-old and a you know 19 year old because that's what you want to know and prepare for it may seem like overkill to your lawyer but you fight for your rights because you're paying them oh i know i always tell people they work for you you're not working for the lawyer and that's one of the biggest misperceptions people have and i love that you just said that because we expect the lawyers to think through those things and i would say 90 percent of the time they don't and i always tell people your divorce decree is a boilerplate it's a boilerplate. It is a town. I mean, I, my very first one, there were other people's names in my divorce decree because she did a copy, you know, you know, save as mm -hmm. and put other people's names, put addresses. Like I had like information from another one of their clients into my draft divorce decree. The other thing too is, um, and you, and you talk about this over narcissists versus covert, and they do do different things during mm -hmm. the divorce. And so mine was very, very covert to the point where I didn't even know he was a narcissist. We just talked about this until two years after, and mm -hmm. after we divorced. And I was really starting to do research on this. Um, but the covert aspect is, 
yes, I will take care of those things. Of course I will. They're my kids. But when they are, you know, confronted with, with certain aspects in, in, you know, further down the road, uh, as you're co-parenting, if you want to even call it that, that's when, and I can't tell you how many times because my divorce degree. So I actually call, I have a word for this. I call it the Swiss cheese divorce. Mm. There are so many holes in the divorce decree. So I got a Swiss cheese divorce. Mm. And the other thing that drove me nuts was that in that decree, it says, before you fight anything, you have to go to mediation, mediation at least three times. Wow. Three times. If they don't mediate and talk to you the first time, like, why are you having to pay for three of them? That's crazy. Yeah. And, but again, I thought, well, mediation sounds right. Sure. Like that, that makes sense. Why would I want to have a judge decide on it? I mean, because he was so covert, I wouldn't even think for a minute that we would be fighting on those things. I was one of those people who never fought a single thing. I've never fought a single thing. I've just said, screw it. I'm going to pay for it. Cause I did the math lawyer versus a $300 retainer or the Donchel retainer, not legal retainer. Uh, for, for my kid, or I'm paying for, um, car insurance. I bought the car, all the stuff and you and your book, I just think you're a saint and and a gift to so many people, because if you read this book, it will mitigate and save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And even if you are in the middle of a divorce, I still recommend everyone reading this because there are still so many tips that you could be thinking of um, that your book really, really outlines that I think is really, really helpful. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I have brought together, I, I had surveys on my Facebook group and on my website, 2000 people sent in the tricks that were going on. And then I'm just like, okay, these are the ones that were arrested and these are child things and these are stealing money things. And I just had them all over my living floor. And most of them that, you know, when you submit a form online, they didn't use periods. They didn't make paragraphs. It was just like, where does this start? You know, it was like debugging it. That took months and months to just figure out. But I started to see the pattern. And I have a part in there about um, the legal abuse, not only in the court, but in the arrests. I, I, I lead support groups here in Colorado in person and, and online. And when I do the in-person ones, there's never less than five of us who have been arrested by our narcissist. If you don't know that that's a possibility, then you have a very big disservice to you. I'm not saying all of them are, but like that's a lot of percentage of 20 people. A quarter of the people have been falsely accused of things and the police called and they went to jail at least for a day. And so to know that your spouse could do that, it's a tactic, right? It is a tactic. And if they pull this, then is what you want to know. And just to be aware that you should be protecting yourself. And, and you know, if you're in a state that you can record, protect yourself with that. There's just all of these little tiny, like, don't forget this. And again, it makes you sound like a, a paranoid, crazy person, but I'd rather know than be blindsided like you and I both were. Nobody had a crazy divorce like me when I went through it. And they're just like, oh, you know, no, it's a tactic. And they do it every single time. Of course, they're going to quit their job. Of course, they're going to hide money. Of course, they're going to lie. They're going to smear you. Everything is out of the book. It is just like, if there was a book that said, do this narcissist, they do it. It's, it's just consistency, right? So to know all of this is to help them and empower them to have a strategy. If they do this, then I know what to do. 
I'm curious if, I mean, to me, your book is not only helpful to someone divorcing nurses, but to a lawyer, right? And mm-hmm. I'm curious, have lawyers been receptive of your work and, and do you speak to any of them? And especially judges, I mean, judges should be reading your book, right? Have you had any kind of good reception or what, what's the legal community in the work that you do? Does it, is it, what's it like? Um, I, I don't have a lot of connection to them. The book's only been out 30 days right now, but um, you know, I have a lot of lawyers and mediators and people that I'll be interviewing with that have read the book and go, people need to know this. Judges is a harder, it's a harder nut. You know, they're so set in their ways and we need the education. And I think people like Bill Eddy at the High Conflict Institute are out there teaching judges and lawyers. They go to the legal conferences and they sit there and talk in front of everybody. You know, I went to domestic violence conferences and talked about this sort of stuff. And I'm talking to DAs all over Colorado. They're at this giant conference. I'm talking to FBI. I mean, there's just so many people that came to that. So I can educate where I can when that opportunity comes. And yes, should we make them? I gave one to um, two lawyer friends and, and they're reading it now. And they're like, oh, my clients need this so much, right? It really is a tool for them. And again, if my lawyer had handed me a $20 book, you know, to compare with my $100,000 I paid to him, like that would have been like so empowering. And so are we going to get them on this train? I don't know. You know, there's so many of them out there. And again, the ones that aren't educated, this is like rubbish to them. They don't even believe it. So, you know, we'll work on the ones we can work on and get to as many (laughs) as we can. Again, if the victims buy the book and go back to their lawyer, man, you got to get this book. It really helped me. That's how we're going to start to raise the awareness in that community. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I remember um, when I published my book, I I do have a lot of lawyers that recommend my book, but getting out there into the, let's say speaking at legal conferences or continuing education, it was a little bit of different thing, you know. These, these, uh, I, I found that the um, the old, more old school lawyers, the ones that you tend to hire, are the ones that aren't going to these conferences. It's the younger lawyers. Mm-hmm. It's the the you know late twenties, early thirties, getting into family law. They're more interested in this. So, I I really think between your work and uh, you know the work that's that's out there, that I really hope this changes over the next 20 years. Any takeaways that you'd like to share with anyone in terms of, with, not, with, with my audience, any takeaways that if you could tell them, like what is the number one thing they should be looking for? I know number one thing is tough, right? Or even talk about that number one mistake as everyone is making mm-hmm. in terms of going through divorce and then after the divorce as well. I know you talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the number one thing I would tell them is they will be okay. You know, mm. even if you've lost everything, I lost everything. Um, you know, the hundred thousand dollar legal bill, we were fighting over 50. I was going to get 25 and I'm three times more than that in debt from that, right? Know which battles to fight. That's such an important piece of you know, knowledge and don't go after everything that gets dangled in your face because that's, that's the hook. That's what the narcissist wants you to do. So, you know, 
get armed up, get a good team. And that's a therapist or a coach that is a, a financial person so that you are not faced with the fear of insecurity about your financial future. Just get them on your team. Your lawyer is just one cog in the wheel that's going to make this go through. They're not there to emotionally support you. They're not there with the, oh gosh, when they do this, let's do that, right? You want someone on your team that is going to be your advocate. And even like me, I go to freaking court with them and, you know, I can't hold their hand unless they come off the big table, but I'll be there. And they've sent them back to me in row one when, when my clients are up there at the lawyer table and they're so distraught, they're like, okay, you go back and, and the judge will let them come and, and I can comfort them. You need that. Your best friends are good. Your family is great. But, you know, those of us that didn't have family close to us, I would have loved someone in my corner. Just to kind of end this with some inspiration, you are already an inspiration, but having someone like yourself who has lost everything and who has gone through so much, and here you are out on the other side, publishing this awesome book, you have an enormous following, you, you have basically taken the shittiest situation in your life and you've made lemonade out of it, basically. How have you grown? How have you become a better, stronger person throughout all of this? And how would you, what would you say to those who are in that place of like, I don't even know how I'm going to come out of this? Books are cheap. Read books. And when you're done with your divorce, read healing books. Stop watching YouTubes about narcissists and them ruining holidays. I just launched one today. If you're already out, don't get re-triggered by that. You know, we need to move the focus to healing. And I read over, I, I stopped counting over 200 books. And it was like, okay, if I'm going to learn about fear, I'm going to read three fear books. I'm going to get it until I get it so that I don't have fear. And I'm going to move on to shame and I'm going to understand guilt. And I'm, I'm going to understand what my part was in it. My vulnerabilities were, I didn't know what a narcissist was. I had no boundaries. I thought, you know, I'll just make him happy and keep on going. And I, you know, I was naive to so many different things. So if you want to protect the rest of your life, do the work and reading those books to, to propel you, not just to not spot another narcissist, but to make yourself stronger emotionally. Emotional resilience is something a narcissist doesn't like. They want the weak, vulnerable one. So educate yourself and know that this will end. And again, get the book if you're going through it and just be like, okay, this helped me. And then go to the next level when it's over, but don't stop learning. And when I get people on my screen that have been divorced or separated or gone from them for years and they're still stuck and they still can't get out of bed, it's because they are filling their head with more narc stuff and they're getting yeah. re-triggered every day they watch another video. Why aren't we watching a video on courage? Why aren't we watching a video of how to conquer our fears? How do we understand our triggers so that they don't take us down because your ex, if you like, you had to co-parent with him. Like if they know your triggers and they can wipe you out every single time they show up, you've got to be able to untangle that. And to the point where you just don't care, that's where yeah. it's going to be stronger. And I would like to add, add to that for my listeners. And this is really where I talk about, I talk about trauma, right. And childhood trauma. And if you are still getting triggered by your narcissist or ex-narc, there's some healing work that needs to be done from your past because the whole codependent mindset 
started way before we met them, mm -hmm. right? We, before we met our, our narcissistic spouse, partner, whomever. And so there could be a lot of healing of your past that still needs to be done. And to your point, if you do not heal, you're going to meet another one. And they're going to look different. They're going to be a different flavor because you have a different flavor. And oh, no, they're not that. And you're like, they're safe, but they're covert and they're just pretending. Yeah. And so the healing work, I, I, I talk about this. I'm still working on it. I, I don't know if it ever where you just stop healing. And, and to me, it's, it's you're, maybe it's going from healing to strengthening. So you're healed. You know, you, you, the, the, the scar is there, but now you're just getting stronger and smarter. And then you become a teacher. And that's, you know, whether you're a professional teacher like us or you're teaching your friends and your community and, and supporting one another, which I think at the end of the day is what gives me hope. I hope what gives you hope and probably inspires both of us to continue this work is that if we all are doing this together, we'll be stronger over the narcissist. We're going to be a bigger community than the narcissist will be. Absolutely. And again, what you were mentioning about the support, I started a support group for me that I know that it would end up like, you know, resulting in a hundred people in two different towns all month long. I did that for five and a half years. Do you think I learned a lot by hearing what a hundred people a month say, in addition to my other clients, right? We learn, but I grew from hearing that. I pushed myself by leading a group. I'm going to teach them boundaries next month. And, and I'd work on it and I'd plan it. If you want to change yourself and you can't find a support group, start one. Um, yes, that's a good on idea. My website of, of support groups in every state and some countries. And so start a group and let me know and I'll put it on there and we'll get you people because they're everywhere. They need support. Well, Tracy, you are awesome. Thank you so much for sending me the book and all of your goodies with it. Everyone, I'm going to put this up here on the screen, Divorcing Your Narcissist. In fact, it's right behind you, Tracy, a, a big picture there <laughs> of all the books that I've read in, in preparation for um, my podcast interviews. This is one of the best. I wish you all the luck in the world uh, with this um, book. Tracy, how can people find you? Just kind of spout off social, website, et cetera. I'm everywhere. Um, if you go <laughs> to my website, narcissist, I think you said narcissistic abuse, but that URL oh. was taken and no one's ever built a site. So it's narcissist abuse support. You'll find all my social links on there. I have a Facebook group with 15,000 members. You wow. know, look for the, the, the things, you know, just look for the social, look for the resources and see what's out there. We are always adding new things and, you know, we hear something, we go, oh yeah, let's find every single you know, blankety blank, and we just give new resources. So come and visit us. Tracy, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up for your free subscription to Blessings of a Breakup, where you will receive daily spiritual guidance on getting out of your pain and back to who you really are. Go to my website at lindsayellison.com.